All right, we'll have the children dismissed at this time to the children's church. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles, and we'll start this morning in Acts chapter 13. So uh, put your finger there, Acts chapter 13. And then I want you to turn back to Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, and we'll just read one of our theme verses for this year. And uh, in verse 3, just a second here. And said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18, verse 3 And said, Jesus is speaking here, Verily I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we often read verses like this and we say, well, that's a wonderful truth to be converted, to become as a little child, to have childlike faith. Uh, But how does that look in the real world? How do I live that verse? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 13. That's how they live the verse. Uh, The book of Acts is the story of the church. And I'll, I'll challenge you, if you want to be a student of the Bible, if you want to understand your Bible... Uh, You must understand what is being said in Acts 13, the foundation, I mean, in the book of Acts. The 13 in particular is one of the pivotal passages here. Every cult, ism, schism, false religion today is based on an improper understanding of verses found in the book of Acts. Uh, You cannot find any religion today that claims to be Christian and is wrong, that didn't find its foundation in a perversion, in a misunderstanding, in a lack of truth gained from the book of Acts. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to walk through a couple chapters of the Bible here today, and we're going to see how this worked out. So we start in verse 1. It says, Now there were in the church that was in Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manan, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I always like to stop there. Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, was the last name on the list. Who is the first name? Barnabas. Arguably, when we talk about men and their ministries as recorded in the Bible, other than the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean, the Apostle Paul would be one of the greatest. No one would argue that point. He's the last man on the list here. He had some growing to do, yes. But I I do want you to understand that Barnabas and these other men, uh, several of which we know absolutely nothing about than what is said right here, were great servants of the Lord. And as we read here in Acts chapter 13, it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia, And from thence they sailed to Cyprus. So here we have what is called the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. His name was still Saul. It hadn't been changed at this point. Uh, We need to understand that in Jewish culture, names were important. Names meant something. Uh, Jacob was called Jacob because as he was born, he reached out with that infant hand and grabbed a hold of his brother's heel. And Jacob meant deceiver or heel grabber. Uh, When Jesus met Peter for the first time, he said, your name is Simon? He said, but I'm going to change it to Peter. Because you're like a little stone. You're 
adamant. Uh, you're, you're strong. You're going to be foundational. And people have taken that and said, see, Peter's the foundation of the church. No, no. Church doesn't belong to Peter. It's Jesus' church. Amen? But names mean something. And Paul's name is going to be changed here. But we're going to see... And we don't have time here. If, if you were here several years ago, we, we spent a whole month basically on Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 4. Uh, you'll notice here that it started in the church. They were ministering not to each other, but to the Lord. You see, if you'll minister to the Lord, you will help other people. But if your goal is just to help other people, the Lord usually gets pushed out of this thing. Again, false religion versus true right there. God, through the Holy Spirit, gave this church direction in a very real and sensible uh, meaning, being able to perceive by the senses way because they did not have the book of Acts, they did not have the Bible, and so God had to use uh, phenomena, uh, a, a very uh, simple way, so that they could understand that Barnabas and Saul were to be sent from the church. And I love this, the church prayed, they fasted, they laid their hands on them, and then the church sent them in verse 3. Verse 4 says, so they being sent forth by whom? What's your Bible say? Holy Ghost. See, that's the way it's supposed to work. Is the church prays. Uh, I mean, that's what ordination is all about. We just went through that a little while back. Is praying, fasting, laying your hands on them, sending them out, and, and God says, when the church is operating at my direction, I am the one doing the work. God is taking the credit here. And uh, that is the way it's supposed to happen. And they went to Cyprus. Now, why would Cyprus be their first stop on their missionary journey? Well, Acts chapter 4 says, And Joseph, who was by the apostles surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and of the country of Cyprus. Barnabas was from Cyprus. He was a Levite. He had grown up there. He sold his land and his possessions in Cyprus and brought all the donations and gave that to the church in Jerusalem. And now he's going back with Paul who at this time is still known as Saul, and John Mark as uh, a servant and a helper, and they travel through the island of Cyprus. And they meet somebody. And when they had gone through the isle unto Paphos, verse 8, they found a certain sorcerer a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, how many of you get what that is? So here we have this false prophet. He is into occultic things. His sorcerer means that he is trying to get his power from the devil, from uh, the devil's angels. He is making contacts with uh, and, and seeking out the power that comes uh, not from God, but from the God of this world. But what's he call himself? Bar-Jesus. You know what that means? Bar means son of. This is far enough removed from the ministry of Jesus and the time when Jesus walked the earth that this man takes a title and he says, I'm the son of Jesus. Now, did Jesus have any sons? Not humanly speaking, no. In fact, the Bible says we're his little brothers and sisters in Christ. It is God who gives us life. And this Bar-Jesus is running around claiming to be a source of truth when actually he is a connection to the devil. 
And we come here in verse 7, it says, which was with the deputy, this Bar-Jesus was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man who called for Barnabas and Saul and desired to hear the word of God. He heard that uh, he was the uh, deputy, he was in charge legally, he answered to Rome for what went on on this island, and uh, he heard that these two men were traveling from Jerusalem, from Antioch, all over his island and preaching. He said, I want to hear this. And we have this Bar-Jesus. Elimus was his name, the sorcerer, withstood them, in verse 8, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. And said, O fool of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the deputy... When he saw what was done, believed. Now, here's the phrase where we're really starting. Being astonished at what? What's your Bible say there? Being astonished at the altogether doctrine of the Lord. I thought doctrine was boring. I remember as a young preacher... He said, a man, well-meaning, came to me and he said, Now listen, you need to understand something. Someone uh, kindly taught me this when I was a young man, and I'm going to pass it on to you. People will not stand doctrinal preaching. You, you've got to, you, you got to uh, make it interesting and exciting. I'll tell you, this guy named Elimus, who had, was a sorcerer, who had... Bewitched many of the people on this island loses his sight for a season, three months or so. That's pretty exciting stuff. I want to challenge you that if we're going to live out this verse of being converted as little children and taking this message of the gospel to the world in which we live, we got to start somewhere. You know where we start? Doctrine. We start with doctrine. Doctrine is the truths of the Scripture. The greatest truth is that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. And that he died on the cross. And that he rose again the third day. That is the gospel. Read 1 Corinthians 15. That is the way that we are saved today. But I want to challenge you. We, we have people running around looking for attendant phenomena. Now, what I mean by that phrase is. Elimus went blind for a month. Everybody that saw him said, what happened to you? Oh, this preacher named Paul cursed me and I'm blind. And uh, people love attendant phenomena. But has God chosen only attendant phenomena to prove the truthfulness of his word? I want to challenge you, in the book of Acts, there were things that happened. They spoke in other languages. The Bible calls it tongues. What goes on in the charismatic movement today is not what happened in the Bible. What happened in the Bible was there to prove to the Jewish people that the message of salvation preached on the day of Pentecost was from God. And in chapter 10, that not only could the Jews be saved, but that the Gentiles could be saved. There, the keys to the kingdom were used. The doors were opened. And Peter was the preacher both times. We'll keep moving here. We don't need any more proof. It's already been given. 
that a person gets saved by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. You either have to accept what the Bible says or reject it. One of the two. Now, we have a lot of songs. I, I love the song, He Lives. Uh, uh, he lives, He lives. Uh, this is how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Hey, that's my testimony. How, how do we have a doctrine? I would like to challenge you that doctrine is not just set of do's and don'ts. It's not just what we believe. Uh, I, many, many people have walked through the doors of this church over the years and they said, your church is different. You want me to tell you why our church is different? Because of doctrine. Doctrine makes a difference. We want the next generation to stay apart from the world and not be entrapped by all of this foolishness that is in the world. If I were to name uh, an ailment or a uh, religion that would cause every person who participates it to contemplate suicide. And that most of the people who participate in this religion contemplate suicide four or five times minimum, and 20 to 40% of them, depending on whose reckoning you do, people who participate in this religion end up taking their own lives. And those that don't, 90% of them die before they turn 60 years old of diseases and other things that are associated with the practice of this religion. How many of you would be signing up for that? I mean, if I were able to describe that in such a way to our illustrious senators and our mayor, don't you think they would start passing laws against such a thing? That every participant contemplates suicide, the average is four or five times, and that somewhere close to 40% are successful, and no one that participates in this religion lives a full and generous life, almost without exception. You know what I've just described to you? The transgender community. Read it. It's there. It's in the articles. You have to go a little deeper than normal. Don't read what these people do. But I'm telling you, they're practicing their doctrine and that's where it takes them. It's a pattern of death and destruction. And they're the ones that point their fingers at us and say we're full of hatred. I used to work in a nursing home that was run by a Christian organization while I was in Springfield. It was not a Baptist nursing home, but uh, it was run by one of the denominations, uh, Assemblies of God, actually. And, and I had a job taking care of people in that nursing home. You know what I met in that nursing home? I met some really rotten people. I met one guy, he looked at me and he said, if I had my brains in your body, he said, I'd rule the world. And I said, you know, God is good, isn't he? And just walked out. But I took care of another fella. He was actually my friend. He was a lovely man. And he knew Jesus as his Savior. I happened to be the one that walked in the room just as he took his last breath. Peaceful, gracious, kind. You know what he was doing? Even laying there in a nursing home, not able to walk on his own anymore, very sick, just, just waiting to go home. 
He was proving the goodness of the doctrine of God. Amen. You see, where God's doctrine is powerful, like the Apostle Paul here is not in walking around and saying, You're going to be blind, you old filthy sinner. Hey, that's for Antichrist. That's the stuff he's going to be doing. That's for the TBN crowd. You, you just leave that stuff to the tricksters and the, and, and the pranksters of this world. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know what it is to have the peace of God in your heart in spite of what's going on in this crazy, mixed-up world around us? Amen? Well, let's start telling people about it. You see, that is the power of the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if we're going to win people to Jesus, we've got to start with doctrine. But doctrine isn't just talking about things. It is doing things. If you don't have any do in your doctrine, all you got is katrin or something like that. I mean, the first two letters is do. Doctrine. Doctrine is about how we live. And I am not the picture of the Cheshire cat that just walks around with a big smile on his face all the time. Uh, But I I will tell you this. Uh, I know what it is to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I've been there with many people over the years. But I've had the rod and the staff comforting me. In fact, do you think you guys could sing that again tonight for us? Because I want to preach on the 23rd Psalm tonight. So we're going to have the... I just love that. And so... But as we look here, our first point is they started with doctrine. Their doctrine wasn't just talking. You know... How many of, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many people in here have been touched by the world before they were saved? You had a problem with alcohol. You had a problem with cigarettes. You had a problem with drugs. You had a problem with with lust. You had a problem, you didn't know how to love people and care about people. How many of you were touched by the world? And then Jesus changed the way you lived. Could we say amen to that? If we're going to live this verse, we've got to let doctrine be real. We don't need attendant phenomena. What we need is Christians to live in such a way when I, uh, that people recognize that Jesus Christ is doing it. When I was very young, they came up with this thing called lifestyle evangelism. They said, you know... Nobody's going to listen to you if you don't uh, uh, if, if 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 you don't prove it. So why don't you just live the Christian life and let God take care of the witnessing? Because the Bible doesn't say that. That's why, silly. The Bible says you got to live it and you got to talk about it. I mean, New York City's full of weird people. Would you agree with that? Don't just be another weird person. Be weird because of Jesus. Amen? Be the right kind of weird. Uh, I've had people accuse me and say, you're going to warp your children's personality. Yeah. I intend to fully. Because I don't want my kids turning out like yours do. All right? I I don't want my 30-year-old son standing in the workplace going... I want my way and I'm not going to show up at 8 o'clock every morning because it's just too taxing on me. That's where the world is. You know why? Because we raise our children like they do out there and then we expect them to live the doctrine. Uh -uh. If your doctrine is going to be real, it's going to show up. We, we've got to live in such a way that, we, that the world can see the difference 
that Jesus makes. Let's go on down to chapter 16 here. And in chapter 16, Paul has finished his first journey, and he is now on his second one. He has revisited the churches that he visited on his first journey. And and in verse 7, it says, And after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Now, wouldn't it be neat... That every time you had a major decision, you just go to sleep and in your mind you dream and God would tell you exactly what to do. Could I challenge you that if that were the best way, that that's what God would do, but he doesn't do that because that's not the best way. And really, if you want to understand the dream world, uh, I am not a, a psychologist, psychiatrist, or... Uh, psychoanalyst or any of those things that are out there. But I believe the Lord's given me a little bit of sense. You want, you want me to tell you what your dreams are? Your dreams are your brain taken out the trash. And that's why you get so many weird and strange... But, but, but I, I, I dreamed this and it came to pass. Big deal. Let's just talk about this. Do you know how many thoughts run through your head in a day? Do you know what the chances of one of those thoughts actually being something that you might do? This is ridiculous. So why did God deal with Paul this way? Very simply, Paul didn't have one of these. You do. What's your excuse for not spending time in this book? Could I challenge you? Every question that you will ever need answering in your life, every question you will ever need answering in your life is already answered. In the, and by the way, I'm not talking about... Uh, 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 here we go. And Judas went out and hanged himself? Oh, wait a minute. That's not right. Let me look here. Whatsoever thou doest, do with all thy might. No, no, this can't be right. And do it quickly. Oh, wow. I mean, you can... You get the point. Hyperbole, yes. We don't go looking through the Bible trying to find a proof text for what we do. What was God doing here? He was giving Paul direction. You need doctrine? You need direction. I remember they tell the story of a doctor was trying to learn how to witness to people. And uh, he had read this preacher's book and, and he was all ready and the patient is there. And he said, I'm going to start witnessing to my patients. He'd just given a man a physical. Really happened. The man's sitting there on the table buttoning up his shirt and the the doctor is reading his little book here and he clears his throat and he goes, if you were to die today, and the guy fainted. Now, if you want a good question to ask somebody about their soul, that's really a good question. If you were to die today, would you know where you would spend eternity? That's... But if you're a doctor and you're just giving a guy a physical examination, it might have a little bit of sense not to start with that question. How about it? Uh, Could we get a little direction here, a little sense from the Word of God? You see, doctrine is important. You know, uh, people say, how did you end up with a church in, in Riverhead? 
uh, we were just following the Lord's direction. You see, the Bible tells us that starting churches is the business of the church. Amen? And if starting churches is the business of the church, certainly keeping them open is the business of the church. Does that take a lot of complicated thought process? I hope not. It's, it's just Bible. And as Paul followed that direction, he went over to Macedonia. He went to the chief city, which was the city of Philippi. And there was no synagogue. So Paul, being a Jewish man, understands that according to Jewish tradition, if there was not a quorum, 18 men to make a synagogue work, that those who believed in the God of the Bible would gather by a riverside. They got that tradition from their time in captivity in Babylonia and different places. They would gather by the rivers and, and they would pray. And so Paul goes through the city of Philippi. He says, is there a group of people to get together on Saturday and pray? And, oh yeah, right over here, every Saturday, there's a little group of women that get together there. And he met Lydia. And what happened? Well, let's, let's look here. Acts chapter 16. And let's come down to verse 7. Okay, they, they went down there and then they came in verse 12 from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia in a colony. And we were in that city abiding certain days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont or accustomed to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia, seller of purple, of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. I want to challenge you that Paul started in the synagogue. He started when there wasn't a synagogue in the place to pray because he was looking for people who already believed the Word of God. And when we go out passing out tracts and trying to tell people, uh, don't go looking for people that you can argue with or you can convert. What, what we need to be praying about is we need to take God's direction and find people in who the Holy Spirit is already doing some work. That's what we need to do. We need to pray about that. That's why we give out so many tracts and so little happens is because we live in a very dark time when many, many people have shut themselves off to the truth of God. But every so often we'll have someone, hey, I got one of these. And they show up on Sunday morning. Hey, we need doctrine. And our doctrine's got to be real. It's got to be real enough to change the way we live so that people can see that there is power and truth in the doctrine of this book called the Bible. We need to follow God's direction. He will lead us. But you know what else is going to happen as you try to live out this verse and be converted? Had to go looking for this word, actually, a little bit. Think about it. Trying to get all D's this morning. So we have doctrine, we have uh, direction, and we have duress. D-U-R-E-S-S. -S. I actually spelled it right the first time. Can you believe that? I always spell it on my word and then hit the spell checker to tell me how to spell it. And then I look it up in the Oxford English Dictionary. Make sure I have the right word. And uh, I spelled it right the first time. I said, ah, the Lord is blessing in this sermon preparation here. Duress. You know what that is? Difficulties. Uh, rough time when things don't go right. 
Uh, chapter 16 is full of duress, if you know the chapter. Amen? First, they had the demon-possessed woman in verses 16 through 18 who began to follow them. And, and, and I, I want to challenge you. Look what she said here. Verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Take a moment, examine verse 17. Is there anything untrue about what she said? Is there a lie there somewhere? I want you to examine that verse carefully. Does anybody see a lie there, a mistruth? Because if you found one, I never have. And I've looked at it a long time. What she was saying was spot on, we might say. Was perfectly correct. So what's the problem? Who was saying it? That was the problem. You see, everybody in Philippi knew about this woman. And I want to challenge you, you read through the letters to the churches, the greatest evil the devil works is not in opposing the truths of the Bible, but in joining with the truths of the Bible. That's why we make a big deal about worldly music in our church. That's, that's why we talk about Worldly dress and worldly behavior and worldly thought processes because we don't want that here. If the devil does the advertising, who doesn't show up? The Holy Spirit of God. See, but those... Those Christian rock concerts are full of people and they love Jesus. No, they don't. They just think they do. You cannot go into the garbage cans of the world and be drawn closer to God. We don't have time this morning to go through all that, but that's... She did this many days. It wasn't a one-time event. She was trying to identify her demon with the message of the Apostle Paul. By the way, you get some of those new versions of your Bible, and they'll take Second uh, Peter chapter 1 until it talks about the day star rise in your hearts. And connect it to Isaiah 14 when it talks about the morning star, Lucifer, son of the morning. And try to make both of those verses talk about the same person. Same thing. That's why we don't use the CEV and ESV and all of these other versions that are out there. Not all of them do that. But many of them do. It's a terrifying thing. Same thing was happening here. And as Paul was feeling the problems here, he said, we got to put an end to this. And the doctrine shows up and puts an end to this. Well, then we get more duress, don't we? Because these men that owned this woman and were using her and abusing her to make them lots of money found out that she didn't work anymore the way she used to work. And so they drugged Paul and... And uh, Silas in, his, his new partner, they had laid many stripes on them. They, they beat them. They threw them in prison. And they told the keeper of the prison, You keep these guys chained and don't you let them escape. Well, he takes them in, locks them down. They can't move. They're sitting there. Their backs are still dripping blood on the floor. I mean, this was a, a horrible, horrible time. A Roman beating was in and of itself a death sentence. And by the way, we get down to the end of the chapter, and there was more duress, even more trouble here, as the uh, sergeants and the people in charge of the city said, uh, you know, we really went crazy there. Uh, 
So they send a secret messenger to the jailer and said, just take those guys and uh, <clears throat> scoot them out of town and let's just make this thing disappear. Paul says, uh, uh-uh. we're Roman citizens. You're, you're going to come in here and you're going to carry us out. And so there was a lot of fear and trepidation. There was a lot of problems from the demon-possessed woman, the beating and the imprisonment. I'm telling you, if you're going to serve God, there's going to be duress. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be opposition. And if we don't have that, we're not serving God. But I want us to stop for our last point this morning in verse 15. I mean 25, I'm sorry. Verse 25 of chapter 16. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. I want to challenge you, if we are going to be converted, we're going to become as little children, we are going to serve God His way. We've got to start with doctrine. We've got to start with what the Bible teaches. And it's got to be real. It's not something we just talk about. It's how we live. And it should make us live differently than the world around us. There should be something that can be seen. Amen? And we're going to have to have God's direction. We're going to have duress. The Bible says without tribulation, you're not getting into the kingdom of heaven. And the word tribulation means exactly what it says. But here, I want you to see one thing. Devotion to God. Paul and Silas weren't praying. God turned to foolishness the wickedness of these men that have put us here and made all of us suffering. No, that's not what they were praying. They weren't trying to console themselves. How many of you have ever just gotten under the weight of things of this life and started singing a gospel song or put on a... uh, just some good music to console yourself. Uh, That's not what Paul and Silas were doing here. They were devoted to God. They understood that the suffering that they were going through right at this very moment was related in their service to God People have often asked, Pastor, how, how do I deal with this? And they describe some horrible thing that has happened to them. Sometimes we suffer at the hands of other people who are even Christians. How, how do we deal with that? I'll tell you how we deal with that. We bring it to God. Not as something, okay, God, you've got to straighten this out. No. You read through your New Testament. The disciples rejoiced in the fact that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, most of the suffering that I have had in my life is not because of my service to Christ, but because of my mouth or my attitude. How about the rest of you? Would we agree with that statement? You see, Paul and Silas were following God's direction, living God's doctrine, and then they got into trouble. And they decided that God was bigger than the problem. And this problem, since I have been called to endure this suffering, I will give it as a gift to God, and I will allow my devotion to God to be greater than the suffering I am experiencing. Did I did I make that clear? 
that this duress, this difficulty, this terrible thing that has happened, and I want you to understand what happened to Paul and Silas was a terrible thing. They would be scarred for the rest of their lives. If these wounds were not treated in a very short time, infection and disease would set in and uh, they would not be long for this world. But we know what happened, don't we? The jailer saw their devotion to God and said, I want that. And so he brings them out of the prison after God sent the earthquake and all the bonds are released and all the doors are open and everybody is so scared they don't know what they're doing except Paul and Silas. And he falls down on the floor between, uh, in front of these men and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And anybody in your house that's willing to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ can be saved. You don't, the message of God is not limited. It is to everyone. And the keeper says, I believe. Now what do I got to do? They said, well, get baptized. Well, how's that work? They had to go find water. Deep water. Water enough to immerse someone in. And... He washed their stripes and gave them food to eat and tried to heal them and took care of them. And then they baptized him and others that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I come before you today as a pastor, and I'm going to be very plain here. My heart is a little troubled because we're just not seeing people get saved like we should. I mean, this is how it works. Would you agree with me? I mean, the biblical pattern, we cannot improve upon what the... We start off with doctrine. We have God's direction. I think after nearly 27 years that we, we, we should have that down pretty pat here. Uh, difficulties? Uh, I think we qualify for those. Amen. Well, how about devotion? You know, we can be devoted to a lot of things. But we need to be devoted to God. You see, the Christian life is not complicated. It's very simple. A little child can grasp it. It takes an adult to really mess things up. And most of us qualify there. The simplicity that is in Christ. Our doctrine does not belong to us or to the Baptist or to anyone. The doctrine that we hold as Baptists comes simply from the Word of God. But I want to challenge you, are we living it the Bible way? Are, are we getting that direction or are we still trying to hold on to a little bit of the world over here and over here and serve God in the middle? I tell you, it's not going to work. You can't hold hands with God in the world. It's either got to be all of God or it's eventually going to be all of the world. And if you have any questions, just tune in Joel Olstein next week and see what he says. You'll find out that there's not enough of this book in one of his sermons to find, your, find the book of Genesis. I mean, there's just no, there's no Bible. It's not there. It's not, and that's on purpose because this book is offensive. This book is different. Don't get caught up in attendant phenomena. Get caught up in the words of this book and the thing that keeps us attached and keeps us going. I I don't know that we've ever had a message that we haven't mentioned the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And that's on purpose. I, I don't ever intend to stand up here and preach the Bible without talking about what Jesus did for us. Our devotion, those of us that are saved, to the Savior who died for us, who finished all the work that needed to be done for us to go to heaven, should make any difficulty that we face in this life become just an offering to God because of what He has done for us. And if we'll go out there seeking people with that kind of attitude and that kind of heart, I, I, I cannot but believe that God still is in the soul-saving business. But it's not going to be just pastor. It's not going to be just people. Some, some people believe they have the gift. And every person I've ever met who's had the gift of soul winning, uh, I want to tell you this plain and simple has made such a mess of other people's lives that it's terrifying. My devotion to God is what helps other people find my Savior. My devotion is based on what God says in this book about how I need to approach Him. That is doctrine. Doctrine gives us direction. Following that direction brings duress because the world doesn't like it. But that's okay. Because devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ overcomes every trial. It is what we need. We just finished the men's meeting and one of the things that Pastor Folger talked to us about there was just simply serving God God's way. If you missed the men's meeting this year, I want to challenge you. You need to be there next year. It's going to be first week in October, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I think it's the first, second, and third, if I'm not mistaken. need to be there. Ladies, we couldn't take you to the men's meeting, okay? But we had a beautiful ladies' conference here just two weeks ago. Amen? And I think that was the theme of the ladies' conference too, wasn't it? Just serving God out of devotion and love for who God is. It was not that the beating did not hurt. It was not that the healing was painful and and took a long time. It was the fact that their devotion and their love for God was greater than the pain that they were enduring. I'll tell you what, that is powerful doctrine. Can we say amen to that? You see, it wasn't Paul and Silas' love for the jailer that brought him to Christ. It was Paul and Silas' love for God that brought the jailer to Christ. Amen? Enough said? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father,